Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Oh, there's a change in the weather this morning. Uh, that was totally not forecast late last night that we'd have a lovely sunny Monday morning. It's lovely to see it out there. Good morning. 1850-715-996, the number. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Our Valentine's competition continues, seeing as yesterday was the big day. Our competition runs across the weekend and into this week. Another giveaway of an overnight stay in the Clayton Hotel Cork with dinner and use of the Leisure Club and one of the best rooms in the house when the hotel reopens, which if you're to look at the newspapers this morning will be probably June, late May, early June before any of the hotels get to open again. But look, you can hold the voucher until then. You can have your break whenever the hotel is open. We're looking again for your corny, stupid, ridiculous chat-up lines. As suggestive, as near the knuckle, or as pure, absolute sick as you can give me. As in ones that would make you sick. Like, you know those ones make your toes curl when you hear... Yeah, those ones. Give me them. Give me them at 083 396 96 That's 083-396-9696. Now, over the weekend, I got a lot of slagging on social media. People saying, oh yeah, there's PJ now talking about going to zero COVID and look at New Zealand back in lockdown. They're not, you idiot. They're not back in lockdown. One city is in a three-day lockdown, which may be increased to a five-day lockdown. In a minute, I'll play you some stuff and I'll read you some stuff that will make your eyes water. You will cry with envy about how they do it in New Zealand. And they will be back to normal, back to their open living, open society again in a week because of the way that they're doing it. And then we still have Michal, who with all due respect to our Taoiseach, doesn't understand what zero COVID is. He doesn't understand. Neither does Dara O'Brien. What? Oh, uh, don't stay. Anyway, look, that's that's to come. That's to come. New Zealand are doing it. They're, they have an outbreak management operation at the moment. I'll play you some stuff that I've got over the weekend and I guarantee you, you will go, oh my God, why can't we do that here? Simple answer, we could if we wanted to. And don't give me the border. Don't even give me the border. It doesn't matter here. 1850-715-996. But first of all, I was talking to someone over the weekend, an old friend, uh, who told me that her mother, who is in her 80s, has received a phone call to say that her vaccination will be ready for her in the next week or so. And they're obviously delighted. Uh, my old, my own mom has a, a, a roundy birthday this year and I was only talking to my sister yesterday you know how much of a relief it'll be not just to her but to all of us when she can get her vaccine and hopefully that'll happen in, in the next few weeks but the vaccination programme starts the public rollout today. They're also coming to the end of the medics being, being vaccinated and the people on the front line there being vaccinated but the, the public rollout starts today. Now, it is going to be way slower than we thought. Way, way slower than we thought. It's starting with the over 85s, and then we'll work down to the over 70s, then we'll come down to the over 60s, I think, and the over 50s, and eventually they're saying, they were saying to us that they'd have everybody with their first jab by by midsummer. Not going to happen. Not going to happen at the moment. If we get the AstraZeneca flying through, if we get the Johnson & Johnson coming through, if we can get more Pfizer and more Mad- grand 
if we get a bit of Russian stuff, grand. But at the moment, not a prayer. Not a prayer of getting the first jab into all of our arms uh, by the middle of the summer. I have been talking to an old friend of the Opinion Line, not been with us for quite a while because he's been busy on the front line. Uh, He's had his own jab uh, and he's out there uh, doing the work with himself and his colleagues. But I took time out over the weekend to chat to our old friend, Dr. Nick Flynn. Before I get into the vaccination programme and where it goes from this week, because there's a lot of confusion, have all medics now, like yourself and all of your colleagues in your practice, all been vaccinated so that they can vaccinate us? Is, is that sorted now? So uh, it, it is close to being fully sorted, PJ. Um, uh, across Cork City, we've been very lucky, and I would think that most practices have had their uh, GPs, practice nurses, and uh, and, and some admin staff vaccinated. Uh, but nationwide, there are still pockets of uh, GPs and practice nurses uh, who haven't been vaccinated. And, and it's been a, a tricky process because, uh, the, the first of all, you, you get your appointment uh, or you try to get an appointment for the first vaccine and then four weeks later you get your second one. But, uh, of course, we've had GPs and practice nurses uh, who, for the first appointment, were self-isolating or were or were. Uh, within four weeks of an active infection of COVID-19. So they weren't able to get their first vaccine. And then they kind of fell out a little bit of the, uh, I suppose, the call recall system. But the system's adapting to that. And uh, and I think like after this weekend, uh, like yesterday and uh, Saturday, uh, we had 5,000 GPs and practice nurses uh, vaccinated again this weekend. So certainly it's getting there. Yeah, because it would seem crazy to think that you'd have doctors and nurses operating a vaccine clinic if they themselves hadn't been vaccinated in the first place. Yeah, you, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, clearly the, like, the, the, the most high-risk staff uh, are, are those who, who are seeing patients who have either symptoms or confirmed illness and they would be in, in the whole in, uh, in hospital settings, uh, the NEs, the ICUs, the COVID wards, uh, but also then in the community, we've got the community um, uh, COVID assessment hubs and indeed in general practice where we're continuing to see patients albeit in a different way yeah. having had telephone consultations first uh, you know, it is important that, that, that people who are at risk uh, will uh, have access to, to the vaccine Like have all the people in your operation all been vaccinated now and were they all done together because it would seem to be the logical thing to do do a whole practice in one go Yeah our vaccine our, 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 our clinics and, and we've now we were in seven locations across the city uh, and our doctors, nurses and most of the admin staff uh, were afforded the opportunity to get vaccinated. So that was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. There was talk in the newspapers at the weekend about maybe some some staff might refuse to work until they get their vaccine for their own safety. Yeah, I think I mean, it's very important that all, that all staff in, in at-risk um, uh, settings are afforded the opportunity to be vaccinated. And I would say that, that that is number one in healthcare. But I would say also then you need to look at, you know, uh, education. You need to look at retail. You there need you to look at, look, at, look at transport. I mean, the like you know, in fairness, that the that the bus driver doesn't have the opportunity to say I won't go to work if I don't get vaccinated. So I think that we have to have a pragmatic approach. But certainly, mm. we have to to avail of all the opportunities uh, to, to to vaccinate um, and, and vaccinate those at highest risk first. So let's look to the rollout as it begins today. It's the over eighty fives now, and then working down to the over 70s. How will it work, say, in your practice? Have you been calling people already? Yeah, so we have been contacting uh, uh, patients in the, uh, in, I suppose, in that over 85 group um, to 
I suppose, uh, let them know that the vaccine will be coming and will be delivered through the practice and to make sure that, that they want it and address any concerns or questions they might have. I think an important point here for, for the listeners this morning, PJ, is that uh, general practice has actually been uh, across the county and city and county have been preparing uh, to administer the COVID-19 vaccine uh, since the first week in January. Yeah. Okay, so we, we, we've been... Uh, attending online uh, education webinars. We've been look, looking at our practice databases, talking to our staff, working out how this will work in practice. And we have, we, we have databases uh, and we have lists of the patients at the at-risk groups and we will be contacting them over the next week uh, to offer them appointment slots for the vaccine. Yeah. I already spoke to a friend actually just at the weekend whose mother is in her 80s and got her call uh, only last week for her appointment this Thursday. So clearly something something is working, something is happening. About how long will it take to get through the over 85s and work down then to the over 70s? I know you can only speak from your own practice. Like, Are we talking a huge cohort of people or what? No, I, I mean, the over 85-year-old patients will be done on the first week that the vaccine uh, is available. So over 85-year-old patients will take our own practice. Now we've 135 patients over the age of 85. Uh, so we know that's probably two and a half days of, uh, of vaccinating. Uh, our, our first delivery is going to be the first week in March. And the first dose for those patients will be administered uh, that week without doubt. Yeah, like on Thursday, we got a call from a woman who's father is in her 90s and they've heard no contact yet is there a prioritization system within the practices like or is it an alphabetical order nick what is it uh so so i i, I just to explain maybe two, two bits on that the first bit is that the the, the vaccine program in general practice is starting this week <clears throat> so vaccines today uh, this the Monday today are, are starting to receive the, the practices are starting to receive, receive deliveries however this week there's only 80 practices across the country receiving deliveries and there are I think over 1300 practices in the country so the, the other practices their um, deliveries will be the first week in March so if you if you hear that uh, a, a friend of yours or a neighbor or you know a relative has been called by their practice but you haven't heard from your practice do not worry because it's a small group of practices who got their vaccine or are getting their vaccine deliveries today and further on this week <clears throat> so from that point of view it it's on a practice level, the HSE have had to decide how they distribute, I think, the first 6,000 vaccines. And what they did was they looked logistically at the sizes of practices and location that they could uh, safely de- deliver those 6,000 vaccines to. I think smaller practices and very, lar- very, very large practices probably weren't on that list. It was kind of mid- mid-range and mid-sized practices. And so they will get those vaccines and they, and, and they will start this week. Yeah. But then, like, in, in how do you prioritize within the group? Is it just alphabetical order, or is it based on their medical records, or what? Oh, oh it's based on their age, so it will start with the, with the with the most elderly. Right, and then will they come to the practice, or will they go to say the city hall or some one of the hubs? That's a, a good question. So there are three potential ways that your practice can deliver the vaccine for you. So the first is that the practice itself. So if a practice has over two hundred patients over the age of seventy they will be, um, I suppose, permitted to be a vaccination centre for over 70s themselves. So that, that uh, is probably all of the practices in the country, bar maybe about 400. So the practices that, then the 400 practices that have less than 200 patients over the age of 70 have two choices. The first choice 
is that they can buddy up with a bigger practice. Mm. So we have, we, we have a practice um, in the city who's buddying with us. And and the third uh, option, for this, which is the second option for the smaller practices, so the smaller practice can be a buddy with a larger practice, or they can book time in the larger vaccination clinics. And the Cork one, I think, actually is in CIT. Mm. Um, it's, I, don't think, I, I think the one that's been uh, developed in uh, City Hall is actually for more public mass vaccinations whereas the, 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 the GP vaccination hub will be in CIT and the smaller practices can book time there. So there are the three options. Thank you for that explanation. A lot of it has been said, Nick, about the speed of this rollout. You've not been afraid to challenge the system and, and complain about the system yourself in the past. Do you think that we can be reasonably confident that most of us will get an opportunity to have a vaccine by the summer? No. Because... We won't have, like, so the first question is, is what is the rate limiting step? The rate limiting step is the availability and supply of vaccines. So at the moment, we don't have enough vaccines to, to get anywhere near that. At the moment, the, 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 the schedule of vaccine delivery for the over 70-year-old groups means that we won't have completed the vaccination programs for the over 70s on, across all the practices until probably, you know, maybe the first or second week in May. So wow. unless, yeah. So unless there's a huge increase in the available supply of vaccines, and that might happen, you know, if Johnson and Johnson come on the pitch in April, you know, that might happen. There might be a huge increase in availability of vaccine and Johnson Johnson vaccine won't need a booster dose. But before, but, but otherwise, I don't think it's realistic, and I think I, I can't see how it, it's feasible. It's feasible that we will have, uh, I suppose, widespread availability of vaccines to say under fifty-five or under sixty-year-olds um, by the summer. I, I can't see how that's going to be possible. Crikey, which goes against what they were telling us a few weeks ago in this chart that they were putting out. Is there any possibility at all that we could see a private? market opening up where large practices or large corporations like hospitals would actually buy their own supply of vaccine and that there'd be a private clinic situation. Is there any possibility of that? I, I think there's a very small chance of it, but probably realistically there, it, it won't happen. Certainly won't happen before um, there's been mass population um, uh, vaccination. Uh, and the reason for that, I think, is, is that the, the, the companies, so AstraZeneca, Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, they're, uh, at the moment, they're dealing with governments and, and the orders that they're accepting are on government level, like, so you're talking about buying 5 million uh, doses of vaccine or 2 mm. million doses of vaccine. And there's very few private medical providers who would have the, um, I suppose, the funds, firstly, to, to purchase that, 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 that amount of vaccine and secondly have the logistical network to administer or deliver it so I think it's not impossible but it's unlikely Let's talk for a second about long COVID because it's something that has emerged as a real problem there were some frightening figures came out in the UK over the weekend about the effects of it even on children I've spoken to many people on the programme suffering from long COVID fit and healthy people who only had a mild illness but are still sick on some level weeks and maybe months later. When will we know the extent of this, Nick, how bad it is? Being honest with you, we probably won't know for 18 to 24 months, really, you know. Um, I think it's important to say that, uh, like, influenza, you know, um, you know, lots of viral infections 
do have, in rare cases, uh, a small percentage of patients do develop like long-term complications. It does seem that with some patients with COVID, uh, we're also seeing long-term complications, you know, for, for it be that cardiac, respiratory, psychological, you know. Uh, so we, we are certainly seeing uh, patients presenting uh, weeks and months after COVID infections with uh, a, a syndrome of symptoms that has yet to be clearly defined, but certainly long COVID is an entity. Uh, but how, what percentage of patients it actually affects it for how long and what the prognosis is, we certainly won't know. What's your own experience with the people that you treat, say? I, well, I suppose our experience would be across the board. Like, thankfully, most people make a full recovery with, mm. with very little uh, uh, symptoms. But we are seeing some patients with, you know, prolonged lethargy, with prolonged respiratory symptoms, with uh, psychological symptoms, and we're seeing that in both COVID and non-COVID patients. Yeah. Did. And you know the way that with the vaccines, you can still get it, except it'd be a very mild form of the illness. That's what we understand anyway. Is there any danger that we could see long COVID even in people who have been vaccinated? I think it's probably going to be less and less likely because I think that the, 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 the data that's coming out is that even if post-vaccine somebody was unlucky enough to develop COVID, that they're developing it with lower viral loads and it's a much milder illness. So we do know you, you get less uh, less death, less hospitalizations, less ICU admissions mm. with um but once you've been vaccinated and they would be the patients in general that will have long COVID type symptoms so it should it should affect, it should produce benefits across all spectrums of the illness Nick finally when we first began to talk about this a year ago almost to the day when we hadn't got a case in this country yet that came on the 29th of February did you think as a GP that we'd be talking like this a year later and probably looking down another year of it Honestly, PJ, I, I didn't. Um, when the when the first, I suppose, inkling that there was something happening uh, in in Wuhan, and uh, when that was happening, I, I suppose we were all, and I certainly was taking a lot of my information from uh, the, the Department of Public Health, the HSE, and I mean they, they were very much seemed to be basing their predictions on SARS and MERS. <sighs> Which, at the t- which we know didn't really affect Ireland. We, we one case of I was at MERS or SARS in the country, but we didn't certainly have any any more any widespread um, uh, SARS or MERS. And, and and so I honestly didn't expect that. I think once it arrived in Italy, uh, we got a real flavour of what was going to happen. Um, and uh, I think we, we did know probably what what date we know were the fifteenth of February. So, but we we, we certainly knew. By the end of February, the start of March, this was going to be uh, kind of like, like like nothing we'd ever dealt with, either on a society basis or on a healthcare basis. You and I are both Munster rugby fans. Do you think we'll get to go to a match anytime soon, Nick? Seriously? Uh, I unfortunately, PJ, I I, I do not. Uh, I think it will certainly be the next calendar year before we we have that. And, and interestingly, uh, PJ. Um, you know, the European Union have, have issued a statement that vaccination should not be compulsory, which clearly it shouldn't, and that uh, people should not be disadvantaged mm. uh, in any position by not accepting a vaccine. Now, we would like to encourage everybody to uh, like get vaccine as the earliest possible opportunity. But because of that, I think there will be a group of patients who may decide, a group of people who decide not to get vaccinated. I think, therefore, we will be 
have low levels of, uh, of COVID within the community probably for a couple of years. And that might mean that there's maybe rapid testing before matches that we have to comply with, or there might be rapid testing before flights or whatever. But, but I do think that it's going to be the next calendar year before, so 2022, before we even start to see things maybe coming back to the way that we would like them to be. That's not what we want to hear, but unfortunately, the kind of thing we need to hear. Nick, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks, PJ. Gentlemen, thank you. That's Dr. Nick Flynn. I spoke to him over the weekend. So the only 85s starting this week. If you have a, a relative in that category, they should be getting a call uh, pretty soon. I may even have had that call already. In fact, if you have a, a relative in the appropriate category and you have heard... Do give us a call, 1850-715-996. Not much optimism. A lot of people saying, why are you blaming the government for the vaccine, the pace of the vaccine rollout? I'm not. Some people are, but I'm not. The big problem, and this is Jimmy, morning Jimmy, over on the prog says, it's surely about the supply chains, and it is. And those supply chains should hopefully improve. And if it's a thing that J&J gets its vaccine approved, then we'll be able to get that. And there is talk that we could get some excess AstraZeneca from the north. Yes, it's a possibility. So it could get faster. But at the moment, according to the information on his desk, Nick Flynn says, no, it's not getting any faster anytime soon, which is an awful pity. And if you're telling me that it's not anyone's fault, then explain Israel to me, will you? Explain Israel. We, we know why Britain is fast, because they own the AstraZeneca, the Oxford. They, they've got two labs there and all this kind of care. But explain Israel to me, where they're flying through the population. Flying through them. 1850-715-996. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire off. The takeover. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Corks Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 96 96 96. On Corks 96FM. See a text there from P. If the Pfizer vaccine, and I imagine all the others, are only valid against COVID for six months, then everyone will have to get vaccinated again from September. What are your thoughts on this? Well, first of all, there's no evidence of any of them only being valid for six months. That is a fear that will only be proven in time. It's no basis in reality just yet. You probably will have to be getting vaccines every year or so. The most vulnerable, at least. A bit like we do with the flu, because the flu virus changes all the time. And we have to change the vaccine to go with it. But they're already working on a modernization or an upgrade in, I think, the AstraZeneca and maybe Pfizer too, to deal with the British variant and the South African variant. So they're already working on those. But yeah, we probably will have to get, the most vulnerable at least, will have to get a vaccine probably every year. A bit like they do with the flu. So nothing new there. There's a brilliant Netflix documentary series, actually, which I must recommend. It's only a six-parter. It's about six hours. It's a tough watch. It's an, an engaging watch, fascinating watch, about predicting pandemics 
about dealing with outbreaks, about trying to look for the ideal flu vaccine. There is a company in the States and it's working in Guatemala and working in other parts of the world to try to develop a flu vaccine that will be a one-shot fits all and the vaccine will adapt according to what version of the flu comes into your body. It's very, very exciting and a fascinating program uh, on Netflix. I watched it over a couple of nights, six parts. It's well worth it. Uh, pandemics preventing the next outbreaks. Worth, worth, worth a look. I will get to that bit about New Zealand in a minute, actually, because what they've done in 24 hours, there was a, a briefing literally in the early hours of this morning because, as you know, they're 12, 13 hours ahead of us over there. So it was in the small hours of this morning they were having a briefing uh, of the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern and their Chief Medical Officer Dr Ashley Bloomfield gave a, br- a briefing on how they're dealing with the, out- the outbreak in Auckland and I tell you lads to make you cry to make you cry compared to the nonsense that we have to listen to about trying to do this and trying to do that and this nonsense that we couldn't get it down that low because of because of because of because of nothing because of nothing anyway 18, I'll bring that to you in a minute. 1850-715-996. A principal of a school in Cork has said that the ongoing uncertainty, I'm reading from the Echo, regarding the timeline for reopening is adding to the anxiety of schools. We still don't know what's going to happen with schools, with the Leaving Cert, with the Junior Cert. We don't know. We're still guesswork. Health Minister Stephen Donnelly has now said there is no fixed date for the return of schools. Discussions are ongoing between the department and the teaching unions about the Leaving Cert and bringing students back to classrooms. And the principal of Cloister, Eamon Reish, Aaron Wolf, has said that is not helping anybody's anxiety. Aaron, good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you doing? Good. Now, you can appreciate, I suppose, that there's a lot of work to be done to try to decide what to do, but it's not helping. Oh, there's huge, huge work. But I suppose what's what really not helping is, uh, I suppose, the speculation and leaked documents, you know. Um, there was a national newspaper yesterday, I think, that kind of released an article yesterday which really added fuel to the fire. And then on top of it, you had to pay to read the rest of it. Um, but that's, not, that's what's not helping, I suppose, is the leaked documents, the little trickling of information, you know. Either let us know it all or, you know, <laughs> let's not hear anything. Um, and that's the real, real problem. I mean, principals across the country will be answering emails and answering calls from students and parents who are really, really worried about the trickle of information. Mm. Have you any particular theory or knowledge even, Aaron, of what is going to happen? Because right now the Leaving Cert is scheduled to start around the 9th of June as we speak. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do a great faith in the Department of Education, actually, and in the Teachers' Union. Um, I think the ACI get a lot of bad press over some of their decisions that they make. But at the end of the day, they are putting students at the centre of this because what they're trying to ensure is that the right decision is made. I mean, there, there is no right decision, but there are a lot of wrong decisions that we could make. And they are putting students at the centre. And, and, and for the Leaving Cert, the big question surrounds calculated grades. And the real worry we all have as school leaders is how can we give calculated great when we have no data to go on. It all comes back to this data, which we had last year because students had been in school long enough for us to gather data. Yeah. Uh, this year, we don't have any. And I mean, it's grand for someone to say, you know, we can chuck out, well, let's do calculated grades. That could create a huge problem down the line because... Yeah. Someone, I was listening to a teacher actually about that last week, Aaron, on a programme, and the teacher said, OK, calculated grades. On what do I calculate them? Exactly. exactly. I have we nothing have- to go on. We don't have pre-exams. They don't have the summer exam from last year. Some schools might just have the Christmas exam to go on. And you cannot base 
it wouldn't be fair on the student. And the other side of it is, you know, again, why is second level school, why is second level fixing, which is essentially a third level problem? You know, where are the universities and all this? How do you um, mean? Explain that to me. Well, do you know, the, the concentration on the leaving cert is all about progression into third level, about CEO and getting points. But where are the third? Where's third level in this? You know, has it been exam? Has it been looked at of letting people get their first choice and then let the third level institutes root people out after year one? Or have we looked at any options there? It constantly falls to secondary schools and saying, well, the leaving cert is the leaving cert; it must go away, and this is the job of the leaving cert. Schools, um, uh, you know, supply a much greater service than just giving students a leaving cert. But um, the, the focus shouldn't just be on progression to third level, if you get what I mean. Why aren't the universities looking at this and looking at different ways of giving mm. people their first choice? What are the facts and figures mm. um, for the number of students that don't get their first option after CAO and the money that's saved uh, you know, by not running a leaving cert last year? Could that be used to create extra places in mm. third level? I want to talk to you about the, the, or what you think yourself might happen, but first of all, the anxiety. And, and I know that there at Deer Park, it'll always be, sorry, it'll always be Deer Park I in my know, mind. You're, you're, you're a desperate man for that. I, uh, <laughs> people, people are constantly saying, Pete, you don't have a chat with PJ about the name of the school. <laughs> but it, but to, me, to me, it'll always be Deer Park. But, you know, but like, the, you, you're very focused on, on the, the mental health and well-being of your students. All of your teachers are there. What kind of things are you hearing? Oh, I mean, there's, um, there, you know, you can't really get into the, the really upsetting story, but there are few. I'll, I'll give you an example there now. We run a school meals program in our school. Every student in the school gets uh, hot cooked food every single day when they come in. Uh, during the closure, the Department of Social Protection has said we can continue offering food hampers to certain families. So we email everyone in the school to say, who wants to avail of these food hampers? Um, it would break your heart to read the letters and the emails that came in from the families that needed food hampers. And they wouldn't be necessarily coming from the targeted families we could think of, but they could be coming from very middle-class families who have been totally and absolutely wiped out by this pandemic. Mm. There's no one at home working. There's no income coming in. And they are wiped out. And thank God for the Department of Social Protection that they are offering these food hampers because in no doubt in my mind um, have some of these families been saved um, through this programme of mm. delivering hampers. It's supplied by your crew leaves and even tomorrow now um, uh, the, the hampers go out, we're moving it to a Tuesday tomorrow so that we can deliver the, the makings of pancakes to the families. Oh, nice. yeah. But even it, it extends to, we have a school completion programme in the school um, run by Katie Burns. Uh, she's the coordinator of an area of school, so we're not the only school that has school completion. Um, but they, they have, they're delivering colouring books, games, toys to families. I mean, there is in Cork City, there is great poverty mm. um, that, that I, I think some people aren't fully aware of that right in our doorstep, there are families that are absolutely wiped out by this mm-hmm. pandemic. And, and that's a huge And problem. in areas of the city where you wouldn't think it. Well, exactly, exactly. It is, um, I mean, we're, we're a school on, you know, you could say, that, you know, we're, we're, we're in the city. A lot of our students come from the south side of the city, but there are areas of the south side of the city that, um, you know, people are living in real poverty. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we, we, we get, I mean, there are children in every school living with parents who, you know, addiction problems. And our worry would be what happens to those children that are living with a parent who is an alcoholic or where there's domestic abuse. Um, it can be hell living in these houses. Mm. Um, they can be very cramped conditions, large families, everyone is at home now. 
But then we must weigh that up with the whole, there is a pandemic on, this is necessary. You know, if we open up schools too early, yeah. that will create movement and movement spread movement the virus. The and that is yeah. the real fear. Coming back to something that is very close to your, your own heart and always was, and that is the, the, the programme that you run there uh, at uh, the, the College of, of ASD. Where are we with the return to ASD in second level? Well, the second level um, ASD unit, special classes, uh, they're referred to, they, they open uh, next Monday. Um, so well, that's the 22nd, Monday the 22nd. But again, every school has a, a, has very different needs. You know, um, ASD, there's a spectrum, so there's different needs. Um, in our school, our ASD special classes are fully integrated into mainstream. Uh, into mainstream. So that means that uh, they don't actually spend much time in the unit. They might only be in the, the unit for one period a day, if that. But they go to their mainstream maths, they go to their mainstream Irish, and so on. That means that for us, when the, the ASD special classes reopen, um, our students will still have to do remote learning because the teacher, the mainstream teacher, is at home still teaching the 30 others in the class if that makes sense. Yeah. So even though we're saying in our school the unit is open, when the child comes in, they must actually go to an individual centre and log on because the teacher is, is not there. The teacher is still teaching yeah. the mainstream. And we've, we've encountered, you know, from parents questions saying, well, my child actually doesn't want to come back because they're too worried about the virus. Uh, our family, we don't want them coming back. And they don't want the child to look any different on Zoom, oh, well, we're not using Zoom, we're using Google Meets, but, uh, you know, when you see everyone in class together and the live class and they're all on the screen, the child doesn't want everyone to say, well, look, he's in school. Why are you in school? Yeah. And then they, they become different and we don't want our special class students to look special or to feel gotcha. special. That, and it's very hard for them to go into school as well because um, their brothers and sisters are staying at home. Yeah. How hard is that to get out in the morning and head off into school yeah. when everyone's staying at home? So for us, we have an awful lot of parents um, and children uh, saying, no, no, we're, we're, we're going to stay at home. Um, mm-hmm. And that goes back. But then again, the need in my school is not as severe maybe as the need in other schools. Um, uh, you know, we, do, we don't have, we, I mean, I don't have any student in the school who's nonverbal, for example. Yeah, yeah. So the it's 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 all very complicated, and there's a lot more behind the scenes that people don't see. Which is which is just before I let you go, Aaron. Have you got a feeling in your gut? Because at, when you get to the level of being a principal of a school, you learn to trust your gut. What is your gut telling you about the leaving cert? Well, I think the only way around it is the the the, the exam. I, I have a nephew who's doing his leaving cert, and I contacted him months and months ago and said, you know, get ready for an exam. There, there will have to be an exam this year because just the data is not there. Um, and that's all. That's all I can say. But again, we don't. We it's we don't very know. hard. We're we're not told anything. Yeah. But I would I would really feel that one of the things that need to be looked at is third level looking at it. I mean, if if an exam doesn't go ahead, it has to become a third level. Problem. Job job here for Simon Harris as as higher education minister to pull people around the table. We hear very little from him. You know, um, are we surprised? Well, no, that's my own personal. But, but um, yeah, I, I mean, there is a sense that some of the the people at the table are well out of their depth. Um, but I do have great faith in the people working in the Department of Education. The Department of Education are actually a great department to deal with. Obviously, we're not dealing with ministers; we're dealing with people that work in the department. And I have nothing but praise for the people that work in the Department of Education. And they're as caught in all this as as, as we are. To be fair, and they're absolutely snowed in with work. To be fair, they are incredible work. To yeah. be fair, and we should all we should consider that too because they are working 
flat out to get something done. Thank you very much, Aaron Wolfe. He's the principal of Cloyce de Eamon Reich, or as we used to call it, Deer Park CBS. Thanks, Aaron. 1850-715-996. Kevin says, with regard to Israel, they gambled on buying and authorising the vaccines way before it was deemed safe. Now imagine that went badly considering the history of that country, plus they still refuse to vaccinate Palestinians. Nice. That's not true, Kevin. There's a grain, a smidgen of truth in it, but only that. In fact, I was listening to a discussion on this late one night on radio over the weekend. Somebody made that point, and a man rang in. He's a doctor. Uh, He's actually Palestinian, living in Britain. And he rang in and he said, that is not true. My brother is also a doctor in a Palestinian district. And he said, we are vaccinating. The, the Palestinian people. So it's not true. There's a grain of truth in it, but it's not entirely true. So be careful about what you hear. And also, the gambling on buying and authorising the vaccines, if it didn't work out, they had the option to get rid of it. They had the option to give it all back and to stop. But they're halfway through, they're flying through their population. They're flying through their population. 1850-715-996. Morning. My 70-year-old mother in Scotland has had both doses of the vaccine. Looking forward to her visiting next month. See, this is the thing. This is the thing. Like, when our elderly relatives, our mums and our dads and our grannies and our granddads and our aunties and our loved ones that we haven't seen for months, like, when they've had their vaccine, you know, it'll kind of be then okay for Nana to come to dinner. Isn't that a brilliant thing? Like, when Nana's had her vaccine and it's had time to settle in, she'll be able to come to dinner. Obviously, we'll all have to be really careful, but she will. And that's so good. And that's, that's a really important thing to be getting back on the positive side. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Cork's 96FM has identified many advantages to wearing a face mask. Unexpected spot or pimple? No problem, you're covered. Lip sync to your favourite songs without anyone ever noticing. And say goodbye to chapped lips caused by cold winter winds. However, the main reason for wearing a face mask is the most vital to help stop the spread of coronavirus. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. We're masking for a friend. Thank you. From Cork's 90s. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96 FM. Yeah, there's a big long BBC article on the Palestinian situation with vaccines in Israel, which is why I said to Kevin, it is, there's a part, there's a bit of truth in it. There is a bit of difficulty there. But it's not that they're be, they're refusing vaccinations. There's a there's a difference. There's a difficulty. But they're not refusing to uh, vaccinate the Palestinians, even though they're not getting it fast enough. Um, but there is. It's not true. It's not true. Anyway, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Hi PJ. I might go on a rant. Teachers and unions are becoming a farce about their concerns about COVID. I work in manufacturing. I observe social distance, I wear a face mask and I get on with it. Positive cases are minimal in school settings. They're putting working parents under immense strain. 
Thank you, Marcus. And yes, Marcus, there is, again, a lot of truth in what you say. Positive cases are low in school settings. The big problem with getting all of the kids back to school and all of their parents taken to school is the movement of people. A million people a day moving three or four times a day in the middle of the numbers and case numbers we now have is dangerous. It's the movement of people that spreads this virus. That's why the schools are closed at the moment. It's got little or nothing to do with case numbers in the schools because, yes, we appreciate that they are lower and the schools are safer. But given the amount of movement in the community, uh, there's your problem. There is your problem. 1850-715-996. I did promise that I would let you hear what they're doing in New Zealand as regards to what they're doing here when they get an outbreak, when they get some numbers. They had a an outbreak in Auckland. It was announced on Saturday, Saturday evening, which would be Sunday morning, our time. They announced uh, an outbreak in Auckland. Three members of the one family, uh, parents and a daughter. And they, they shut down the city of Auckland, the area around Auckland. They shut it down. They announced at half eight they were shutting it down. They shut it down at midnight. So there was three and a half hours notice given. Like, three and a half hours notice. And then, I'll play for you later what they've done in the first 24 hours since lockdown. It is scary. Absolutely scary. They would put us to shame. They'd put Britain to shame. They'd put the whole of the EU to shame in terms of how they're managing an outbreak. 1850-715-996. Now, I'll go to Sarah because it's been a tough old time for you, Sarah, and my my sincere condolences. Thank you so much. It's been a tough time for your family. You've, you lost both your grandparents, is that right? Yes, um, so since October... Um, I lost my granddad at the end of October and my nana at the start of February. Oh, dear. So it was a lot in a short space of time. It was, it was. Yeah. Was was COVID involved? Um, for my nana, yes. My granddad in October was diagnosed with bile cancer. Went in for surgery. Surgery was really successful. He had a stroke about two days after his surgery oh. while still in the hospital. Yeah, uh, while in CUH. Um, oh, I'm my so nana. Sorry. Went into hospital at the start of January um, with, we thought it was just a chest infection or bronchitis or something. Happened to catch COVID within CUH, um, then had COVID pneumonia and minor heart failure and was struggling with that through all of January and then sadly passed um, Sunday of last week. Oh, I'm so so sorry for that, Sarah. That's dreadful. That's dreadful altogether. I mean, it's, losing granddad was bad enough. But then, oh my god! Yeah. Wow. Wow. Now, you you have set up a fundraiser yes. in their memory. Mm-hmm. Who are um, you raising funds for? For CUH, for the charity within CUH. My grandparents are both originally from the UK, but they moved to Ireland in 1999. I want to say, and. My nana, since then, has had triple bypass, I think, on her heart, or some very major heart surgery. I could be wrong on that. My granddad had diabetes, and then with granddad's cancer, and my nana had thyroid. They were in and out of CUH quite regularly. 
their entire time in Ireland, CUH staff have been amazing to them. Um, and even within the last few months, all of the staff, all of the staff that we've interacted with, even though they're completely run to the ground and they're so understaffed and so overworked in there, they've been nothing but amazing to my entire family. So um, I wanted to do something positive with a really negative experience. Okay. So decided to start a donate for the CUH charity. You are so kind in in a mo- such a difficult moment for your family. I I knew I wanted to do something to give back in a way because we were only allowed ten people at Nana's funeral. There was twenty five granddads, but still, it was it felt felt really isolated and almost surreal because you haven't had the traditional Irish funeral and the community aspect that comes with that. Yeah, it's just been our family, which has made it nice in a way because it means we've all got to talk about a lot and reflect on it but it's also made it very surreal so anything that we can do to make it easier on other people in any way shape or form I'm, I'm, I want to do that Okay, so how can people support your fundraiser? You, you, you set a target of 500 you're already up to nearly 1,000 how can people um, help? We've actually outpassed 1,000 now we're oh, at 1,350 I think last time I checked Brilliant so there's a link if you literally type in idonate.ie slash Beely, C-U-H, B-E-E-L-E-Y-C-U-H. Okay. It'll bring you straight to the page and you can donate anonymously. You can leave a message. You can literally anything at all. I never thought we'd reach 500, but the fact that we've almost tripled that in like yeah. the space of a week is amazing. And I'm Beely, so Beely was their name. B-E-L. Yes. B-E-E-L-E-Y, Jeffrey and Margaret was their names. Yes, that's were my grandparents. Tell me a bit about them. Um, they were the funniest pair of people you would ever meet in your entire life. My granddad was a genius. Um, physics, maths, he was a teacher in the UK. And he also worked on the Falcon planes for um, the English Air Force. Okay. Helped doing aerodynamics for that. Wow. Yeah, he, he. If anyone ever met him, I'm sure you heard the story. It was his go-to party piece. Like, <laughs> tried to figure out if they could do loop to loop. So he got to go up in the planes and do all the maps involved with it, which was very cool to even think about. Crikey! That. So the when you see the air displays with say the red arrows and the and they do the loops, it was your your granddad worked out the physics of that. Yeah, he helped for a specific type of, type of plane. Because all of them obviously were different with yeah. fans and engine sizes. Yeah, so he, yeah, he was an absolute genius. Um, he must have been, my goodness me. And then you, Nana? And then Nana was a craftswoman to the highest degree. Embroidery, upholstery, flower arranging, like anything that she made with her hands, flat, like gardening, anything, like anything creative, you asked her to make it from scratch. Like, as a kid, that was amazing. She made us, fa- like, fancy dresses, like, dressing up boxes full of costumes because, like, give her any scrap of fabric and you can make it into something amazing. So they, they were an amazing pair, the two of them. They sound like it. They sound like yeah. it. And, oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry for your loss, Sarah. You so and it's so I wonderful that, that you're doing this. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. 
1850-715-996 is the number to call the text to WhatsApp with 3396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at opinionline96, the hashtag OL96. And of course, you can get us through Facebook. Go to the Corks 96FM Facebook page. And you can pop us a message and address it, if you would, please, for the attention of the opinion line. Just makes it easier to find uh, our messages if you do that. Particularly if you're doing it outside the time we're off the air, because then we can just search them and find them. If you missed anything in our first hour this morning, of course, do not forget, a podcast of the show is available every afternoon. And if you subscribe on any of your podcast platforms, it'll be updated as we publish it. We put it first to Twitter, we put the link up to Twitter, and then it goes to all our platforms, including, of course, the Cork's 96FM app. And it doesn't cost you a penny. You get the whole show again in mid-afternoon, and you can listen to it wherever and whenever you choose to do so. To those of you who listen to our podcast, and I know that particularly in other parts of the world where we've a a decent listenership, Cork people downloading the podcast all over Australia, they do it in New Zealand, they do it in China, they do it in Singapore, they do it in Outer Mongolia, for all I know. Wherever there's Cork people, they're downloading the show, which is great to know. You can contact us. The best way for you to contact us is by email, opinion at 96fm.ie. We have a giveaway this week, continuing from last week, with our friends at the Clayton Hotel Cork, winning an overnight stay in a superior Riverview balcony room, dinner for two in the Globe Restaurant and Bar, and complimentary access to the Club Vitae Leisure Club with its 18-metre pool. And it's it's a Valentine's competition, so we want your cheesiest, your rubbishest, your funniest, your most suggestive, your most downright near the knuckle, possibly unbroadcastable, but we'll chance it. Chat up lines at 083 396 We had some beauties on Thursday and Friday. Some of them, like, there was one or two in particular that would get us sued. I'd have loved so much to read them, but they would have got us sued. But still. So 083 We'll pick a winner around about 5 to 12 uh, before we head away for the day. I, I promise I'm going to come back to you with regards to New Zealand and how they manage uh, an outbreak. We've talked so many times with public health doctors and public health experts about outbreak control. And I'll let you know what they're doing in New Zealand. And this is a from a press conference that's only a few hours old um, between the pr- Prime Minister, uh, Jacinda Ardern, and their director General of Health, effectively their Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. Just to let you know what they're doing for three cases, lads. Three cases, the detail. Then, if you if you heard that there were two particular McDonald's, three particular petrol stations, a library, a national park, a cycle shop, a motel, a list of them, a list of them in the newspapers saying, if you were in any of these places... You need to get tested. And we make a test centre available to you. In fact, there's one available now. They put that in place on Saturday night. I'll let you know the results of it soon. 1850-715-996. They're putting the world to shame in how they're managing this. Very upsetting stories on social media and indeed making the papers in the last couple of weeks. From Ardna Hinch, one of the most beautiful places in the whole city and county. And a lot of seals being washed up on the beach at Ardna Hinch 
that looked like they could have been shot. This is a very upsetting story. Melanie, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you on. That is what is happening, isn't it? It is, yes. So um, I'm the executive director of Seal Rescue Ireland, and we do, as many people know, rescue sick, injured northern seals, but we're also very involved in conservation and research. So we have been keeping a dead seal database, just um, reports from members of the public who just are walking on the beach um, for the last five years. And uh, last year was by far the most reports we've ever had with 202 total. Now, unfortunately, um, this year we're off to an extremely strong start. We are up to 46 dead seals and over a third of those are are showing up in cork um in fact we had two additional dead seals reported to us over the weekend um on ardmahinch so that's that's eight in just the last three days so it is quite alarming do we know who's doing it are are they actually shot i mean obviously you check these things Yes, so it is really hard to determine the cause of death without a proper thorough necropsy done. Um, I think that why people are saying that they appear to be shot is because the bodies have holes in them. Um, this is kind of grim, but, uh, you know, as seals are part of the ecosystem. So when they die, um, there's going to be scavengers and other things that kind of take bites out of them. So it could possibly be from scavengers kind of pecking holes in the bodies after they die. Um, but I would say that the cause of death most likely is due due to, um, well, two things. One is this huge rise of storms. Um, you know, anyone that's been near the beach in the last five days has seen what it's been out there. Um, so it's very, very, it's very tough for these seals to survive in these yeah. conditions. They can get battered around and they can get exhausted. Um, we always have a huge number of calls for rescues after storms. So, you know, you, you can imagine that a lot of them aren't surviving as well. Um, and with climate change, of course, these severe storms are on the rise. Um, the other big thing that it could be is from bycatch. So it wouldn't be from, um, you know, intentionally shooting a seal, but they can get caught in nets. Yeah. And we are seeing a lot of these seals with evidence of bycatch. Whether What's it's bycatch, scarring. Melody? Bycatch is um, the inadvertent... Um, uh, catching of animals in nets. Um, so when you've got a big um, fishing net, and then you know seals are in the water and they can get caught in those nets just like everything else. Um, and they can hold their breath for a long time, but not not that long. So they do often drown. And this is a huge, huge cause of mortality. Because um, we forget, Ireland. don't we? We forget that seals are animals, not fish. They need to <laughs> breathe. Absolutely, yes. Um, and they actually spend about half their time on land. Um, so especially when they're young pups, they're very vulnerable and they can't hold their breath that long. Um, and because they are just you know, living in their environment, they can just accidentally get caught in nets. Um, so we do get seals that are reported to us that are still entangled in nets or they have scarring from nets. So this is a, this is a big cause for concern as well. We had a story last year um, where it was suspected, and I stress suspected, that some people were shooting seals off of piers and fishing boats to keep them from getting at the catch. Do you yes. think there's any connection here? Um, it's so it's so hard to say. Um, of course, uh, you know we, we've heard stories of that as well. But without catching someone in the act, it's it's really impossible to tell. Yeah. Um, but this is why we're very very happy that the National Parks and Wildlife Service are now creating a wildlife crimes unit. Um, which means they'll be they'll have the resources in place to hopefully do some proper investigations. Because at this point, um, you know, we we share all of our data with NPWS um, because we want them to help them make informed decisions and help you know address these issues. Yeah. Because 
seals are a bioindicator species. So if there's something going on that's affecting them, it could be impacting lots of other animals as well. And, you know, we are getting lots and lots of dolphins and porpoises washed up as well. So I would say they could be victims of bycatch as well. Gotcha. Have they been autopsied, any of the dead ones? No, they haven't. Um, not to my knowledge, um, just because, you know, they're, they're getting reported from all over the country. And um, I think that they would have to go to UCD, which is where we send our seals. Um, but we're, we're in discussions with them. Would it be helpful, Melanie, if, if some of them were? Absolutely. Yes, we are very, very strong advocates for more research, more investigations done uh, to determine their cause of death. Because, um, you know, as as many people don't know, we really don't have that many seals here. We only have about eight or 10,000 gray seals left in Ireland. And this, yeah, they're still recovering from near extinction in the early 1900s. Um, and they, they reproduce very slowly. They only have one pup per year, and about right. 50% of those pups do not survive their first year. And are they protected? They are protected under EU and Irish law, so it is, it is uh, illegal to harm or kill them. Um, but, of course, there's a lot of environmental threats out there that are, are doing a, a lot of harm. I mean, that would be the storms and plastic pollution and you know climate change, and, of course, bycatch is, is a big right. threat. Okay. It'd be interesting to know what is causing their deaths. It's, 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 it's a distressing story. Thank you for talking to me about it. That's Melanie from Seal Rescue Ireland. She is the executive director. And they haven't autopsied any of the dead seals just yet, but it may happen soon. I was in holidays last summer, as you know, up the north, and we were right on the coast. Um, and there was, when the tide would go out, and it was kind of one of the features of where we were staying and the people who owned the house on the very first morning the tide was low and the guy who owned the house brought us down and said have a look at him and he pointed out to the rocks to this massive gorgeous creature I mean he was beautiful he was a fully grown adult seal well he I'm calling could have been a female I don't know this enormous creature fishing for his breakfast off the rocks he was just magnificent to watch. You'd sit there for hours, particularly the sunrise was very early in the morning and the tide was low. Uh, you'd come out and you'd watch him. He'd come up out of the water. He'd, he had a place he always went till he knew there was a supply of food there. And you could watch him diving for his breakfast. He might spend 20 minutes, half an hour. And then, when he'd had his breakfast, he bammed off on the rocks in the morning sunshine. Just incredible thing to watch. Fabulous thing to watch. Uh, 1850 Yeah, you also get um, beachings, as they call it, happening in the unusual weather. And we've been having very unusual weather over the last few weeks. I was only at home on, was it Saturday? And I was looking out at it and I was going, yeah. And I said it here on Friday. Tell me again why some people think this is spring. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so if you come across any of those seals, let Seal Rescue Ireland know. We had that story last year. Which, as usual, was there wasn't as much to it as was originally thought. There was a, a notion went around that fishermen were getting up onto the hull of the boat or the deck of the boat and shooting seals in the water and wanted permission to do it. Nothing, of course, could be further from the truth. But it happens. 1850-715-996. There's a well-known cork business, a business that I've been a customer of myself more than once over the years, gotten into something on Instagram, not of their making, uh, but they've been given a very bad name. 
by something on Instagram. I speak of Factory Carpet Superstore, and they have been the victims of a nasty Instagram campaign. I'll talk to them next. 185715996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. We all want Monday afternoon to fly by as quickly as possible, right? Let's do it together. I'll bring you the biggest tunes. I've got an amazing giveaway and all things Cork from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. I mentioned the proc earlier this morning and a comment on it to do with vaccine rollouts and I quoted it and straight away the minute I mention it that troll among trolls and that's all you are Drucker is out with the usual now nonsense I don't care you're only an idiot Thanks to the rest of the lads who contribute to the um, to the proc thread. It's fun from time to time. I can take a slagging, but I can't take trolling. And I'm not going to have it. Thank you, Drucker. And goodbye. 1850 As I said, a factory carpet superstore has been around for a very long time. And something's been happening to them on Instagram. Ben Warrilow, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Peter? Not too bad, sir. Uh, you're here quite a while now. Um, and, and, 26 years yeah and as I said I've bought more than one piece of carpet off you over the years so I, I, I'm familiar with your business what's been happening on Instagram? Uh, I think it was late on Friday uh, my brother-in-law uh, my nephew messaged me and said there's an, uh, is this your page like a strange page and I went no that's not me so I had a look into it somebody made a very similar name to us and started posting a lot of anti-Irish stuff on there, saying no Irish, no um, no blacks, no dogs. Uh, quite a few racist things on there towards Irish people made it look like I was doing it. Right. Well, obviously, I wasn't doing it. It was a fake page. But what they'd done, they made friends with whoever done this, made friends with all of our friends, but blocked the fitters that work for us. Oh. They blocked my wife. A bit of detail went into it because they blocked my wife, who I don't actually follow on Instagram on, the, on my work page. So they, they blocked all them people before it even started. And then they let the page go, so it would have lasted longer. But obviously, they don't know who I know was messaging me back saying there's a bit of a fake page. So a couple of people messaging me saying, have you seen this page? Right. Um, which was a bit nasty, really, because obviously we've been there 26 years. We love the business, obviously. Um, and it hurts more than anything, really. Of course it does, Ben. Of course it, it does. You're here. as everyone's doing it, yeah. Who do, have you any idea who would do this to you? I'll tell you somebody in the industry, um, myself. Um, obviously, we're a busy enough shop. We've just opened the new warehouse in Little Island, so we've got a lot of stock coming. I do post a lot on Instagram and Facebook, and sometimes, obviously, if, some, if, if they're in the industry, it might irritate some people, I suppose, if they're not as busy. We've been there a long time, haven't we? So, Yeah. Uh, I'm guessing it's something like that. Um more, more shock, really, and then uh, the examiner was on to me, and then they'd done the article, and I shared that, and then the page got taken down straight away, I think. We reported it to Instagram, yeah. quite a few people did, and they said it does not go against their violations or regulations. What? 
Which was, I know, I was really shocked by that. You mean impersonating uh, a legitimate business does yeah. not go against their regulations? That's what it said, yeah. <laughs> I, was quite, I was quite shocked by that one. Yeah. And then, then when it, obviously it went on the examiner, then um, I got shared and I said that I've uh, been in contact with the guards. I think that whoever's done this must have mm. obviously thought about it and took it down. Whether they can trace the IP address, I'm not sure. Okay, okay. I'd say keep on that because someone, someone's been nasty to you and trying to damage your business. While I have you, Ben, a couple yep. of things. First of all, I'm not too sure. What is the situation with carpet stores like yourselves in, in lockdown? Um, we can only sell online at the moment. Um, okay. That is it. You can sell online or we've got a lot of people calling us saying they've bought from us before, which is good, and we can deliver. Uh, and we've got a lot of business going out in March. Wait, we're, we're anticipating we can come back to work fully on the 5th. Right, but of course your fitters at the moment can't go into anybody's house, can they? No, uh, which is strange, because um, you can get a taxi one-on-one, but you're not allowed into someone's house. It's, it's a bit of a strange one, really, but yeah. it's going to keep us very busy for March anyway. Good, and something else, again, um, and this is um, just a bit of a personal observation, and other people have been saying it to me, is there a supply chain issue in your industry as a result of Brexit and other things? Not not so much Brexit, because uh, all, all the carpets come from Belgium and Holland and places like that. Right. Uh, what happened last year, when everybody closed, we reopened up on the 18th of May. It just went booming. And it was the same with the UK market, I think, and the same with all of Europe. So there was a shortage, which has actually made us go and get our warehouse in Little Island. We've got a new warehouse just for storage, and we've got over 500 rolls of carpet in there now. Right, so right. So we don't have any issues. Running short. I mean, grey is so popular at the moment. Last year was waiting like a month and six weeks for certain carpets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's going to be a big... And has, like, COVID hasn't affected freight or anything like that, has it? Yeah, it's made the price of the shipping go up, and that's from March the 1st. All everything that's coming from Europe is going to go up around seven percent, and wood flooring stuff that comes from China. The shipping has gone from two thousand two hundred per container to twelve thousand per container. Yeah, it's it's astronomical. So, a lot of the Chinese wood will not it will it will die out soon, and uh, carpet underlay comes from China. Yeah, and yeah. it just makes it not not. Feasible. And the price of those. Uh, wooden floor, particularly the lamy stuff, the laminated stuff, yeah. that's gone well down. Like, it's really affordable. So that's yeah, going to go up now, isn't it? going to go up a lot to do with shipping. Uh, but a lot of people are going to Turkey now. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That seems to be the new market for laminated flooring. Gotcha. All right, Dyson, Ben, good luck. Good luck with the industry and with everything connected to it when you can get back up and running and for just taking those couple of extra questions about supply chain and things at the end. That's Ben Morillo, a factory carpet superstore. They were impersonated on Instagram across the weekend. Um, so that wasn't them being nasty at all. 1850-715-996. But get this. Instagram came back to bed and said, oh, it's not in breach of... Hang on a second. A legitimate business is impersonated and things are done purporting to come from that legitimate business and it's not in breach of regulation? Like, in, in, in whose language is that okay? Huh? Let me look at the New Zealand thing. Because I've been holding it over for you. Um, there was an announcement at the weekend that Auckland was gone into a lockdown and that the rest of New Zealand had upped their restrictions by a grade, which basically meant that people had to wear a mask on public transport, which they haven't had for a while, and also that there were no gatherings of more than 100 people. That's the rest of New Zealand. In Auckland, it's almost a complete lockdown, only for 72 hours. And you think, how can they do it in three days? What can they do in three days? They have three cases. Three cases in the Auckland area. I'll tell you in a minute what they're doing. And remember, New Zealand is kind of the poster boy for zero COVID or close to zero COVID, which, of course, just doesn't mean zero. It means that you get it down so low that you can manage your outbreaks when they happen. Now, on Friday afternoon, Michal Martin was touring the new vaccination centre down at the City Hall. And he was asked, I think this is by our own Katie O'Keefe, he was asked about zero COVID. And he still insists that it would not be possible. He still insists you could not do it. Here's what he said on Friday. Zero COVID is what? You know, it's what New Zealand has right now. No, but it's, yeah, but it's, it's a permanent lockdown. And as soon as a country like Ireland comes out of it, you're back open to the... Um, potential of, 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 of the disease coming back in again because of our geography or obviously the border with the north or proximity to the UK uh, and Europe. We are not you know, New Zealand in geography terms um, but that said you know, let's look at it from a different perspective. Uh, we, we have at different times been suppressing the virus we are looking at a very prolonged suppression of the virus but as the earlier questions you know, the, the behaviourally people are going to find this very challenging even even right now in the level five we have. Has he any idea what he's talking about? He said that zero COVID is a permanent lockdown. That's absolute cardiology. In Auckland at the weekend, three cases emerged in the community. In other words, they weren't in managed isolation. They weren't in quarantine. They were in the community. And that means that they could be transmitted and spread. So... At half past eight on Saturday night, the Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern announced that Auckland was going into a lockdown for 72 hours starting at midnight. So they got three and a half hours notice. Three and a half hours notice. (laughs) That's the best bit. So in the early hours of this morning, which is 24 or more hours on, 
She gave a press conference, herself and their chief medical officer, Dr. Ashley Bloomfield, gave a press conference as to how they had gotten on in the first 24 hours. So three cases are confirmed in the community in the first 24 hours. All right? After that confirmation. Here's what they've done. This is their briefing, which would have been happening in the early hours, our time. So what the second voice you'll hear is Dr. Ashley Bloomfield. The first voice is that of Jacinda Ahern. Here's how they're dealing with a family-based outbreak in Auckland. Genome sequencing of the three cases shows they are the UK variant of the virus. This is highly transmissible and a fast-moving strain, uh, one that requires extra care in order to stamp it out, and that is exactly what our approach entails. We continue to pursue a range of theories, some of which have been classified as unlikely or highly unlikely. But regardless, in our view, it's important to leave no stone unturned, particularly when we know how tricky this virus can be and is. The intensive source investigation continues, which along with the public health actions and alert level changes outlined yesterday, are designed to break any potential chains of transmission. Now, contact tracing has identified 42 close contacts outside the household, and I should say that includes the classmates and several teachers of the student at Tapatoitoi High School. As always, the priority is for close contacts and casual plus contacts to be uh, tested first so we can understand any potential risk in the community and it's pleasing to see there's been a strong response to the request for testing and as at 3pm today the community testing centres around Auckland had swabbed close to 2,300 people. We're continuing to upload locations of interest for all three cases and the latest information on locations is on the Ministry of, Ministry of Health website. Uh, you can check them out if you think you may have been in Auckland, Waikato or Taranaki locations that have been listed. That's actually less than 24 hours since they announced the lockdown. They had tested, swabbed 2,300 people and they had a list of what they call locations of interest. We've never seen any of those locations of interest. They know that the people are involved are a self-employed transman and his wife who works in an airline catering provider and their daughter who goes to Papatoitoi High School. They've closed the school for two days and the list published in the New Zealand Herald, which I've got here in front of me, they've listed off three petrol stations, two McDonald's, a pizza hut, a library, a couple of national parks, a cycle shop, and a few more supermarkets and warehouses where close contacts may have been in the last couple of days. And anybody in those locations is told, get a test. If you were in those places, if you even passed that McDonald's, get a test. Or a test, as they call it out there. Get a test. And they ring a number, or you go on an app on your phone, and you've got a test in a few hours. That's how it's done. Now, tell me why we couldn't do that here, please. And if you bring the border up, a scream. 1857-15996. That uh, press briefing there with Michal Martin on Friday, where he shows that our crowd don't know what zero COVID is. For to say... This is just, listen. Zero COVID is what? 
you know. It's what New Zealand has right now. No, but it's, yeah, but it's, it's a permanent lockdown. A permanent lockdown. It is not a permanent lockdown. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Jerry Killeen excoriated him on Twitter last night for saying that. It's not a permanent. Anyway, regardless of that, it was just, thanks for letting me know, it was Sarah O'Dwyer from The Echo who asked Hall about the zero COVID. Thanks for that. Something that they are using to help people get over long COVID or to help them get through the effects of long COVID, believe it or not, is singing. Like I said, believe it or not, singing. Because the act of singing, when trained and coached, exercises the lungs in a way that they think, and there seems to be some evidence, they think it may help people to regain the strength and the use of their lungs after they've been damaged by COVID. I want to talk a bit more about that next. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Vanula Moynihan returns to Triscoll for a two-concert series celebrating the music of Mozart where she'll be joined by flautist Kieran Moynihan as well as musicians from Music Ireland. The first concert will go live at 8pm on Triscoll's digital stage on Friday, April 2nd and the second at 8pm on Saturday, April 3rd. Access all areas. Legendary Australian band Crowded House have announced a rescheduled show for Cork when they are scheduled to play the marquee on June 28. They join a growing list of shows that have been reset for the next summer, including Pet Shop Boys and Jenny Green. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Listen to the Access All Areas promo there and delighted to know that all these gigs have been booked back in for the marquee, which we didn't have last year. Pet Shop Boys booked back in, Crowded House booked back in, a few more. I'm not sure it'll happen, lads. I hope I would... Oh, God, there would be nothing make me happier than to be completely wrong. But I don't think we'll have a marquee this year. I hope we will. I sincerely hope we're able to. But I don't think we will. I don't think it's going to be possible. I don't, be, there won't be enough of us vaccinated by then. And we certainly won't have low enough levels in the community and have the kind of outbreak control that they have in New Zealand to allow them to have gigs like they have at the moment and allow them to have matches like they have at the moment. Bobby says, New Zealand can never have a tourist industry if they keep locking down for two and three cases. Who'd want to go to a place that could lock down at the drop of a hat? We'll never have zero flu or zero pneumonia and we'll never have zero COVID. How do we corral something that's invisible? Open up the whole damn economy for God's sake. The dog is chasing its tail for too long now and he's never going to catch it. We're the dog going round and round Where's it getting him? Open, 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 says Bobby. Bobby. Bobby, 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 Bobby. Open, open, open means death, death, death. At the moment, at the moment, it's not safe. And anybody claiming it is, is crazy. Crazy. What's happening in New Zealand is they have eliminated the virus to the point where it is so rare 
that they can lock down for three days and bring it under control. They're doing the same all over Australia. Perth will come out of its new lockdown in five days, seven at a push, because they've identified everything. But thank you, Bobby. Appreciate your contribution. 1857 So singing is an, an exercise for the lungs when you're trained to do it. And for years, my, my dad, God rest him, had COPD and he used to exercise his lungs. And the fact that he had been a, a damn fine tenor uh, for most of his life helped him. It gave him strength in his lungs because his lungs have been exercised from, from singing. And, and, and it, it does help. And there's some evidence now that the damage caused to the lungs by COVID-19, particularly by long COVID, can help the lungs if you sing. Lisa McAuliffe is a music therapist with the Milford Care Centre. Lisa, good morning to you. Hi, how's it going? Good. It is a thing, isn't it, that because singing exercises the lungs, it can, it can help you to regain strength. But just for the benefit of listeners, in layman's language, Lisa, how do the lungs actually work? Okay, well, there's a couple of different things involved in, let's say, our everyday, day-to-day breathing. So the first thing is that we have to uh, inhale air through our nose and our mouth. That goes down into our lungs and down through our windpipe, past our voice box, um, and down into our two lungs. And I suppose eventually, and we've all seen diaphragms of the lungs with the little branches of the trees coming out, um, it reaches down into our smallest little tubes, and those are called bronchi and bronchioles Um, and then in those tubes you've got air sacs called alveoli and that's where the oxygen goes in and we take the oxygen for our blood and then the gases are uh, exhaled I suppose things like Mm. carbon dioxide then are exhaled Mm. out of our lungs. Mm. The lungs are kind of elastic in nature aren't they and that's very important. Yeah when you have healthy lungs they're a kind of a pinkish to grey colour and they tend to be sort of soft and squishy and that's the way that we want them that's the best way for them to operate. Yeah, and of course, if they be- and if they become damaged by something like COPD or COVID nineteen, they lose their elasticity. Isn't that right? They do. They lose their stress or stretchiness. So um, I suppose they don't go back to their original state when you exhale. Um, and when you lose lung elasticity, your airways can get smaller, making it more difficult to breathe efficiently. Mm. Um, and I suppose where singing comes in then is that when you're uh, exhaling um, and you're emptying your lungs you're better able to fill your lungs then again and uh, better able to get oxygen back into your bloodstream again. So that's why it seems to be working so effectively for people with, as you mentioned, COPD, but also now uh, long COVID as well. Yeah, because singers, they're trained, aren't they? And this is your your own experience. A singer is trained to breathe in deeply and use muscles in their stomach and even in the lower back to help. Yeah, so the most important muscle is the diaphragm. And you might have heard of diaphragm breathing or diaphragmatic breathing. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as belly breathing as well. Uh, The idea is that, you know, when when people are just breathing normal day to day, they don't engage the diaphragm an awful lot. Um, But when a singer is breathing, they use the diaphragm because they want to fill their lung capacity as much as they can. And they want to be able to sustain that out breath over possibly a long phrase or a long um, piece of music without taking a breath. Mm. So the idea behind the diaphragm is that as we breathe in, it contracts and it uh, kind of pushes upwards. And then as we breathe out, it um, expands again. So when you're diaphragmatic breathing, when you put your hand on your belly, you should actually feel your diaphragm move up mm. as you breathe. So your belly should go out, which 
a lot of people it actually doesn't. Um, if you ever look at a newborn baby, when a newborn baby's lying on their back, they naturally diaphragmatic breathe. So you'd see their belly going up when they mm-hmm. breathe in and you'd see it going down. To pump the lungs like a bellows. Yeah, exactly. And to mm-hmm. kind of create that space needed in your lung cavity um, to have, you know, lots of reserves of air and to be able to, you know, exhale that air over a long period of time. So, um, so singers, what they do is they engage in exercises to use diaphragmatic breathing while they're singing and then it becomes sort of second nature, I suppose, for professional mm. singers that it just becomes part of what they do. Mm. Um, in singing groups with, well, I know the, the one in the UK that the um, English National Opera are doing that is kind of hitting headlines at the moment, they're using those exercises then with people with long COVID to mm. help them to engage their diaphragm and start using their diaphragm more. Mm. Because you don't um, con- you, you you use it anyway, but you don't if you consciously use it, you can you can help your lungs to expand. Yeah, definitely, and it's it's used in other things as well. I mean, it's used in things like meditation and yoga and things like that as well. So anybody that does those activities will be familiar with breathing exercises as well, and <laughs> um, because as well as improving our lung capacity and things like that, it also um, just helps us to relax as well, and it reduces anxiety and increases. Yeah. Um, oxygen to our blood flow and things like that. So it's got a, a whole myriad of benefits, really. And even um, if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, and I'm looking at myself here, even if you couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, you can still use your lungs to try to sing at least. Oh, absolutely. And like the focus on a lot of these singing groups isn't on the um, performance, I suppose, or it, is, it isn't on the the production of wonderful music or anything like that. It's more on the enjoyment. And it's, you know, singing in a group makes it easier because you've got the support of your peers and you've got the support of other people in the group as well. So you can feel a bit more confident when you're singing in a group, um, which helps as well. Yeah, it's good for your mental health and your well-being. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think for, you know, because singing groups with people with COPD have been around for a long time. Mm. Um, and I think what they're finding with that is that there's good peer support there as well and, and that it just improves mood. And of course, if your mood is improved, your anxiety is reduced. And then if your anxiety is reduced, your breathing is less compromised as well. So it's kind of a, mm. a, a whole circle, really, of, of things yeah. going on. If, you, if your stress levels come down, you breathe a bit more easily. And it's just na- that's just how nature works. Yeah, exactly. So there's a kind of a twofold, you know, there's the physiological, what's happening in the lungs and the diaphragm and all the rest of it. Mm. But then there's the psychological, I suppose, and what's happening. Um, and just that your brain is focused on something, mm. um, you know, positive with, with your breathing and you've got a structure around it. And the music makes it much easier because, as we know, music is structured in itself. So it tends to be, you know, it tends to have a steady beat or it tends to have certain phrase lengths mm. and things like that. Mm. So it's very easy to use that. To, for example, count along to your breathing or to breathe in for a certain length of time and breathe Great. out for a certain length of time. So. Great. Okay. Thank you, Lisa, thanks for being with us today. That's Lisa McAuliffe. She's a music therapist with the Milford Care Centre. Uh, diaphragmatic stomach breathing is helping people. If you want to try this for yourself, and the Queen Bee is a singer and she's trained in it and my dad, God rest him, was well able to sing and he used to do it too even though he didn't realise we are doing it. If you clench your belly muscles, clench the muscles in your tummy, right? Just just, just clench them in tight and you'll notice, if you've never looked, noticed it before, clench your muscles in your belly and you'll find that you're actually inhaling at the same time. You're breathing in just a tiny little breath. There's Moray trying it behind the glass. There's a tiny little breath goes in. You can feel it, can't you? Yeah, you can't not breathe when you clench your belly muscles. That's diaphragmatic breathing. If you train your muscles that way, you can breathe a lot more deeply. We can all try it. You probably, actually, you probably find, you probably find um, 
a video on YouTube as to how to do it. The night of the article in yesterday's Sunday World, I saw this, re a large funeral in Cork. No chance of the New Zealand model working here. Also, their politicians are more tuned to the situation than our Muppets. Uh, actually, speaking of stories over the weekend, how long was I saying on this programme that there was no element of Michal Martin's proposed visit to Washington, D.C. for St. Patrick's Day that couldn't be adequately done online under the circumstances in which we find ourselves. That there was no element to that visit that couldn't be done online through whatever platform they used. I think they have a specific secure one for political discussion and stuff like that. And then on Friday... Joe Biden and the White House administration announced, well, actually, we're not doing any public gatherings. Uh, We're going to do it all online, says Joe Biden and the crew. So I was right. And everyone told me, oh, no, it's vital, important. He goes with this. No, it's not. There's no element of that meeting or that discussion, even the bilateral talks that do take place. There's no element to it that couldn't have been done on a secure web connection. Told you so. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, keep your chatter blinds coming in. Some funny ones dropping in now. I had that Microsoft line on the first day, says Chris. Well, you try it again. You can try as many times as you like. Get away three, three, 96, 96, 96. Uh, the phone charger one keeps coming in as well. You need to improve on it. There's a lot better there than the phone charger one. But if you've got them, we'd like to hear them or see them rather. At 083 396 9696. Yeah. 1850 715 996. The number and of course the email opinion at 96mm.ie. Twitter at opinionline96. If you want to hear anything back from our first two hours this morning, you can also get our podcast which is usually available mid-afternoon first thing we do is we put the link up on twitter and then it goes from there to all of our various podcast platforms including the corks 96 fm app and you can open it there and find a podcast section and if you subscribe to our podcast on any of your platforms then you just get it updated automatically every day and it don't cost you a penny and if you are one of the people who listens to us on the podcast and many people do the best way for you to contact us is the email address, opinion at 96fm.ie. There was a YouTube video came out last week about otters in Cork. We've talked to the people behind that video before and the fascination we have with otters and the wonderful sight you can see of an otter on the side of the river. It's great to see it. And there was another documentary came out last November. Um, a film about nature in Cork City. It's all happening thanks to the great work of the Cork Nature Network. And that's a big collab now going on between the Cork Nature Network and Cork City Council uh, to promote, I suppose, the wonderful nature of our city, which at a time when our streets are quiet and are particularly, as you see, the early mornings now getting a tiny bit brighter and the evenings, there's a bit of a stretch, you'll start to see things that uh, is is wonderful 
like you'll see foxes at twilight. You see foxes in the early morning as well that you wouldn't normally see. And the, the time to to um, to look at nature is, is coming in springtime. So let's catch up with John Armstrong from the Cork Nature Network. John, we have a fascinating uh, nature around our city of animals and birds and stuff that we wouldn't normally see. And we began to see them last last year during lockdown. We a great opportunity to see them again. Good morning. Hello, PJ. Thank you for having me. Delighted to do so. Um, we've only been taking notice, really, of our nature since lockdown, I think, in the last year or so. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, for many of us, life is just so busy that we're running from place to place to place. We never really take the time to actually sit down and look at what is around us the whole time. What kind of things would you see that you wouldn't think you'd see? I think really, like we, we spoke about the otters there a few moments ago, and the otters there incredible to think that we have them in the middle of a major city you just have them swimming up and down living their lives you've got things like peregrine falcons in the city the world's fast animal they'll drop out of the sky at almost 300 kilometers an hour mm. um you can see them hunting pigeons even simple things like songbirds you don't expect many songbirds within towns and cities yeah. but now since we have much less traffic on the roads you see them and you'll hear them, really. It was just that the sound of the traffic was really drowning them out before and they couldn't be heard. Yeah. And you're, you're encouraging, the network is encouraging people to get out and sample what's out there and take a look at it for yourself. Oh, definitely. Because we have a misguided opinion that you have to go on a big trip to the middle of Africa or to the Amazon to see wildlife. Mm. Whereas you really don't. You just need to go outside your backyard and sit down, look and you will see nature. Um, mm. I always find it incredible if you ever just sit down in any patch of grass that isn't now mowed within to within an inch of its life. Because if it's cut down to the very, very nib of the grass, it's basically like green concrete. Mm. But if you've got a piece of grass, you know, a bit of few daisies in it, a few dandelions, things people call weeds. Weed is just a plant that is growing in the wrong place. There's <laughs> no such thing as a weed. Um, and especially dandelions are fantastic for bees and butterflies um, in the early spring. Mm. Um, but if you sit down and you, you'll sit there for a minute, you'll see nothing. For two minutes, you'll begin to see things. If you sit there for five minutes, you'll begin to see that there's just insects everywhere. Mm. And so that's really just take, give yourself a bit of time to sit down, just look at a tree for a short time, and you'll begin to see there's birds all over it that you just didn't notice. Mm. We don't notice what we don't look for. True. True, and because we spent so much time at home last spring, and it looks very much as if we'll be spending a lot of time at home this spring as well, or maybe a short walk to the shop, you can see so much of this without going far from home. That's exactly it. We're all now within our 5Ks once again, and instead of when we're going to the shop having our eyes glued to our phones as we're walking, if you actually just look around the place, you'll begin to see just the birds about it. And I found a fantastic thing is everyone's worked from home as well. If you put a bird feeder outside your window, yeah. you'll begin to start seeing birds as you work. And um, I'll be honest, I did that recently enough, and it really does pick you up because you're not staring at, you know, like a blank wall for the whole time. You're out the window, you'll see life just beginning to appear. Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, your back garden can be, can be just fascinating if you get the sun at a particular time of the day and... Oh things come in to take a bit of crumbs or if you throw out a piece of fish or something and you know, it's it's brilliant. Well it's incredible, like 
And it depends on where you are. Like, I live out in Cove and we see foxes in the fields near our house every so often. And, you know, you see badgers come through the gardens. It's incredible. One of the amazing things I found is I got a, a camera trap and I just put it out at night and you realise that the amount of animals that are around your house and your gardens at night that you just don't know because we're not out at that time mm. is really insane. So we do have lots of nature within Cork City and even within our urban areas because they're beginning to expand so much yeah. that animals have to find a way to survive. So they will begin to start living in our urban areas. Now, how can people get to look at the work you've been doing, the documentaries and the videos? So we have them on our, um, on our Facebook page and also on our YouTube channel. So that's at Cork Nature Network. Right that's on. where they go. And what's there to see? So we have um, our two videos. So we have the Cork Otters film. Then we have the Nature in Cork City film. And then we also have a few um, talks that we did earlier. Um, it was now two years ago now we did. Um, we had a public meeting about natural flood management and the uses of it and the benefits of it. And so we have a, a number of talks that were given about that um, by some experts from around Ireland and from Scotland. And so those are most of the videos we have on that page. Um, also, our Twitter page is incredibly active. And so then we begin to put up lots of pictures that have, um, people have sent in to us kind of for our monthly photo competition Great. and also kind of any of the um, news that's going on about ecology and wildlife within Ireland and mm. around Cork in general and specifically. You, you want us, I think, as well to help with pollination and, and we can all do it in ways we didn't realise we could do it, very simple ways. Yes, incredibly simply. Um, the simplest way really, and it involves less work for everyone, is cut our grass less. That's simply. Because if we continually cut our grass like every single day or um, once a week, it just becomes green concrete and no animal really can live within it. There was a wonderful quote that I heard someone say and it's um, an old ecologist and they said that they were looking out at um, a piece of grass and they said a grass is like, uh, is like a green desert and then the ecologist turns to him and says no, a desert has life in it. So if we are cutting our grass to an inch of slice, nothing can survive. So instead, a simpler thing to do is maybe start cutting your grass once every four weeks and then take the grass cuttings away. Because mm. what you want to do is reduce the fertility of the land so wildflowers begin to appear. Yeah, you see, what happens is, in particularly the way our summer is, like if you don't, if you leave your, your garden, like if I leave my garden for four weeks in July, I leave grass in the kitchen. <laughs> But you see, and then this comes to our second part. We have the misguided opinion that tidiness is good, whereas in my opinion, wildness is good. So the more wild areas you have in your garden, even if you would prefer to cut 99% of your grass, but you just leave a single strip of grass grow long. I've seen people do that, actually, and they even fence it off a little bit. That is, and then again, it's fenced off. It looks pretty and tidy because you can clearly show that you're doing this purposely and it looks beautiful. Um, the other thing is, even if you prefer not to do that, leave the first cut, leave it go a small longer, let the dandelions come up, let them bloom, and then cut them afterwards. Because right. at least then you've given the bees the chance to get some of the pollen that they need. Gotcha. Gotcha. You can also plant wildflowers, that's another way to do it, um, in kind of along your um, plant boxes around the front of your house, you can plant um, wildflowers in them, things like that. Mm. So there's lots and lots of like, simple ways. By, by wildflowers, I presume you mean 
specific seeds rather than going and dragging them out of ditches and put them into a into a into a window box. Yes, that's what I mean. You can buy seeds. Um, you can buy Irish seed savers, and then there's another place in Ireland that do um, bee. Um, they're called the bee bombs. So they're basically like tiny little pellets packed full of seeds nice. that you throw into um, throw into soil, and they begin to grow. And then these plants are really plants that we've naturally had in Ireland for hundreds and hundreds of years. Mm. But it's since our farming practice has changed, since urbanisation has increased, it's only now that we see them go, God, that's an odd-looking flower. Whereas if someone 100 years ago was looking at it, it would be the most common thing in the world. Yeah. yeah speaking speak, speaking of common flowers, we're, we're coming into one of my favourite few weeks, say over the next three to four weeks, we're going to mm. have daffodils sprouting. Now they're at it already, but sprouting everywhere. And the South yes. Link Road and out there by the dump and they're going to be just yellow. This gorgeous. And it, it seems to, it happens in time for Mother's Day so that people <laughs> on the night before Mother's Day can forget, oh, jeez, I forgot me mother and there won't be a daffodil left on Mother's Day. But they're lovely to look at. They are. And the thing as well, when you put up, when you put flowers in an area, it really brightens up an area too. Yeah. So you're not only helping the wildlife, you're also helping yourself, your own mental health because it's much nicer to be looking out at a piece of grass and you know, to be seeing yellows and reds and yeah. purples and rather than just seeing green, you know? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. Something else, I, I don't know, they're still there. Come back to animals. Again, something you'll see in the early morning as the mornings get earlier and it starts to get bright maybe nearly you know, half five, six o'clock. In it, you'll see loads and loads of rabbits. Yeah. In places you wouldn't expect to see them. Like out by the Dunkettle roundabout. Thousands oh, of them. Oh, they've always been at the Dunkettle roundabout. There's hundreds of them there. And the reason they love it out there is that the foxes can't get through the road to get them. So it's kind of... What, explain that to me. That's, I, I, that's ne- I've never had that Because ex- I've been fascinated by them. That there are so many of them out there. You, you, you say there's a specific reason why they like it. Yes, yeah, because again, it's a place where predators can't get at them. On the so, roundabout? Yeah, so if you think about it, so you've got that small area of the roundabout there, and it'd be very dangerous for a fox to kind of get through that road to try and get at them. Right. The other reason is a fox couldn't live specifically on the roundabout itself, because if they were living there, all the rabbits would just run away. Right. And then as well, with predators, predators need a much bigger range mm. than um, prey, than like herbivores or kind of like rabbits and deer and things like that. So that's why you'll always tend to have much more of the prey animals, like the rabbits and the deer, than you would, let's say, wolves or foxes and things like that. So, I, always, I always wondered that, John, why there were so many of them out there. Yep. Wow. So, that's it. so what I'd say is a fox maybe passes through once every few weeks, catches a few of them, they all scatter, they come back, and then they're sitting there. So it's kind of like a protected little island for them. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> a bit of that <laughs> Great to talk to you. We have so much around us to see. And I think as we come into spring and the days get longer and we get a bit more weather, we have got a fascinating city to look at for for so many different reasons. We really, really do. All right, listen, talk to you again, John. Perfect time to see you. Thank you. That's John Armstrong from Cork Nature Network. I particularly noticed it last year during the, the springtime lockdown, just how much extra there was to see. 1850-715-996. Nicole, Nicole, Nicole.
Do you like Star Wars? Because Yoda won for me. Oh, please. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. So whether it's homeschooling, working from home or home workouts you're up to, I've got you sorted. I've got the biggest tunes on the Fresh 4 at 4. We'll see how well you know your music on the one second song. And it's all about you on the takeover as you pick the playlist. Oh, Billy Eilish, therefore I am. That's the one to put on. So for that and loads more, I'll chat to you weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833969696. On Cork's 96 FM. One of my favourite, and I watch very little lifestyle or reality TV, as we've said here many times on the programme. Most of it, I tend to run screaming from the room. My eyes, my eyes. But one or two of them, I love. And in particular, I like stuff like Home of the Year. I just enjoy it, looking at these houses. And then, particularly if any of them are in Cork, and you happen to drive past it, you go, there's the house that was on the telly. There's one of them in Ballinlock, actually, not far from... Uh, J.J. O'Driscoll's that was on last season and it was bought, I think, by a French guy. And what he did with an ordinary house uh, is just spectacular. And there's quite a lot of Cork interest in the new series and one in particular on the, the very first episode uh, that we're that we're looking forward to. The the It, it comes, starts again, I think, tomorrow night at half past eight. And it's... Home of the O'Briens, David O'Brien. Good morning to you. Hi, PJ. How are you? Good. Where Where is the house? Um, so it's located in Ballygarvan, so very close to Cork Airport. Right, right. And John is there as well, John, your brother. Um, so, there. so did you did, did was was this a new build or an adaptation or what was it? Yeah, so it, it was a completely new build. Um, I was very lucky to have inherited a site from my mom. She owned a small farm in the area. Um, so her name is Teresa. She'd love to hear her name on the radio. <laughs> yeah. And um, she, I was able to build uh, a house through my family company, which is RJ O'Brien Building Contractors okay. that John now runs. Yes. Okay. And and who designed it? Um, so it was designed by CEA Architects in Middleton um, and myself. Because mm. it looks like, from the from the pictures you see, it looks like a converted barn. Is that the image you wanted? Yeah, so um, I suppose with the exterior design, uh, the house is very much a contemporary take on kind of Irish traditional agricultural buildings. So there's corrugated steel all around the outside, but I wanted to kind of give it a more modern twist with the black. Yeah, yeah, it looks fascinating. Can't wait to see it on the on the, on the program. Um, how did you get involved in Home of the Year? Um, I suppose it's all a bit mad. Um, I set up the Instagram account uh, called New Build Ireland a few years back. Um, and I, was only, I only set it up just to keep a photo diary of the build because if anyone knows who's building or renovating, it can be extremely frustrating during times when you're just, it feels like nothing is happening, that the build is stagnant. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, that started to grow. And about a year and a half ago, one of the producers, producers from Shinnewill, um, who make the show with RTE, contacted me through Instagram and asked if I'd consider doing the show. Um, and now I hadn't even properly moved into the house at that stage. I was kind of on the end run. 
Um, so I decided not to do it. But then I said this year, why not? Mm. Yeah, you, you've some. I think you have a piano as a kitchen island. Like you've done some yeah. mad stuff here. Um, yeah, so uh, I suppose I'm really into antique furniture and vintage furniture. Um, and I like the idea of the quality of that. And, um, you know, I love the history behind it. Um, I would have been going to auctions when I was really young with my brother Aidan. Um, and our dad would have been was a carpenter by trade. So I suppose furniture is something that we'd be very interested in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I saw that piano at an, at an auction um, actually about 10 years ago now, or eight years ago. And I remember at the time thinking, God, I'm going to build... Uh, I'm going to use that as my kitchen island. So it was, it was, it was actually in the plans for the house that the kitchen island was going to be a piano, and the kitchen was built around that piano. Wow! And does it actually play? It does. It's fully tuned. Um, Get I think away! I'm, yeah, yeah. So I got it fully tuned by a piano company in Middleton. I'm really, I can't remember the name. Um, Would it be Jeffers, maybe? I'm not sure. I actually just, I can't think of it. Okay. Um, I, I feel really bad now. That's okay. But, uh, yeah, they, uh, it's from the actual pianos from 1850. Brilliant. And. Um, yeah, we, we transport... This is one, one big kitchen in there. Yeah, so it's a, it's a large open plan living, uh, dining and kitchen area. Love it. So, um, and I kind of said, why not, you know, make something kind of unusual, a kitchen island. And I love the, the colour of the wood. Um, I thought that brought a bit of texture to yeah. the space. Yeah. I, I love so, open plan. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan, so I can't wait to see that. You know, do, do you actually get to meet the judges? Because it seems that they arrive when you're out. Do you get to meet them at all? No, you don't. Uh, it, it's really top secret. So um, it's it's very interesting. They do your interview in the morning and then you leave the house and the judges arrive in the afternoon. So um, like the amount of work that goes into filming the show is incredible. Like I mean, the crew and the, like all of the crew, they're there at 7 o'clock in the morning and they're there till 7 p.m. at night. So And it's over two days. So it's a long filming for seven minutes of TV. Um, but I was really lucky. I was able to... My brother lives next door, John. And... Uh, I was able to look out through one of the his kids' windows, so I was able to just kind of have a little spy on the whole thing happening. Oh, so but, they literally are wandering around themselves. You're not showing them around, or you haven't shown them around. They've just, you've literally just given them the key. Oh, literally, yeah, they arrive. Wow. You, uh, like, you're not allowed to meet them at all. Um, um, I think that's probably not to sway them in any way. Yeah. Um, and that's it. Yeah, so you kind of you, you step out of your house and you give the keys to the, to the crew and uh, they take over. Do you know what it is? I was often thinking it must be a nightmare to get the place ready because you know what it's like on the telly, like the, the smallest stain or anything, like, yeah. or, or if, you, if, if, if on top of that, God help us on top of the coffee, there'd be a coffee ring on the piano. Oh, listen, <laughs> You'd yeah, be, no, like, it was nuts. You must have been cleaning like a devil, have you? Oh, it was nuts. Um, like, in fairness to my sister, Trina, she was, she was brilliant. She cleaned the house from top to bottom with me. And it's, there's a huge amount of preparation, I suppose, in going into getting the show ready, or getting ready for the show. Mm. Um, like, you, like, I think I would have, like, I, I think around June is when they kind of contact you and it's filmed in September. So for those few months, you, re- you really are, um, I suppose, trying to get the place in top-notch condition because it's going to be on TV and you want it to represent, you want it to be seen in its better light. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 I, I, I like the show for that particular reason because yeah. you never quite know what to expect when you like everyone's got where where did you put your red dot? We allowed oh, to know. I, I, I can't tell you that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be around the piano, but maybe not. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So bring John in there for a second. John, you you live you live nearby, so you were able to kind of watch all this going on with him, and of course, obviously, help him to prepare. And you, you built the house together. Um, it's it's a it's it's. Exciting times, isn't it? Yeah, it was, it was an amazing project to be involved in. Um, and I have to say, I'm very proud of David. 
and all all the team at RJ O'Brien building contractors um, who were involved in it. It wasn't exactly the easiest build, but it was a very enjoyable build to be involved in. It's we've never kind of built anything like it as such, mm. and we've we've done a good bit of building in. Um, residential building, commercial building, you know, extensions and renovations, the usual kind of small yeah. builder's works. But this was really something that was extraordinary, you know. Yeah. It was modern standards as well. I th- that's why I asked, was it a refurb or, or a new build? Because with a new build, you've got to bring all the utilities in as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And it, every part of it um, had, its, had its difficulties. But to be fair, we were able to work around everything as best we could because the design was so exceptional, we wanted to keep it as close to the the architectural drawings and yeah. David's David's input as much as possible. So again, as David said, we built the house nearly around the piano. Brilliant, brilliant! I can't yeah. wait to see it, lads. Dave, we're probably not allowed to know how you did, are we? No, <laughs> yeah, it's top secret. We actually have to sign contracts and everything, so, like you know, that no one knows outside of the. You're you're allowed to keep a very small group of people in the know, um, but that's it. You're not allowed to say, uh, say to anything else to anyone else. All right. Well, listen. In that case, even though you do know how you did, obviously, good luck. Uh, I very I, I very much look forward to watching it because, as I said, I do enjoy that show, uh, Home of the Year. It's on tomorrow night, uh, RT at eight thirty, and the O'Brien House from Ballygarvan Features. Thank you, John. Thank you, Dave. It looks deadly. It looks brilliant. And this kitchen island built around a piano, it just sounds fascinating. We're not allowed to know how they did. That's a pity. I think they might have done well, though. Just get that notion. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See Motors.ie. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. We all want Monday afternoon to fly by as quickly as possible, right? Let's do it together. I'll bring you the biggest tunes. I've got an amazing giveaway and all things Cork from midday on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Here's something we've discussed in the past on the opinion line. It's couples who conceive through IVF or through surrogacy. Not all couples, some couples. And they find themselves in a legal limbo. That even though the law changed or the law, new law was passed, it doesn't apply to them. Um, Renee, good morning to you. Hi, how are you? We've talked before. And it applies to same-sex couples. So just give me the potted history of yourself and Audrey and and, and, and all that. Sure. So um, my name is Renee. I'm married to my wife, Audrey. We've been together 13 years and we have two daughters. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And I um, gave birth to the girls. We did a thing called reciprocal IVF. We used my wife's eggs and donor sperm, and I carried the babies. So I was their birth mother, and my wife is their biological mother. And um, so at, at the moment, we still have not been recognized as legal parents. So from the time 
our daughters were born, I've been viewed as a, a single parent, essentially under the law and the sole parent to our daughters. And my wife has been a legal stranger to them. Even um, though her eggs were used? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So before marriage equality, you know, there was no way that two people of the same sex could be recognized as equal parents to a child. That just historically has not been possible. It's always only been a man and a woman that were able to be both legal parents to a child. And with the passing of marriage equality, I suppose everyone assumed that everything had been sorted out and, you know, same sex marriages now would be treated equally and the same as a heterosexual marriage, but that didn't happen. But there was some change in legislation in 2015, the Children and Family Relationships Act, but that actually only was commenced last year. So as of May 2020, there is provision in law now. Hold on, you broke up just at the wrong time. There's provision in law now. So there's a provision in law as of May of last year that certain people who meet the the criteria can both be recognised as parents to their children. So those are only female same-sex couples who've used an Irish fertility clinic with an, a traceable sperm donor and the child is also born in Ireland. So if you meet all of those criteria and you're a same-sex female couple, you can both now be recognised as your child's parents. But if you fall outside of those criteria, you will continue to be in, I suppose, a grey area of the law where only one of the parents is actually legally connected to their child. So this obviously affects all gay men who um, who access surrogacy because surrogacy is, has still not been legislated for. And it also affects any other same-sex female couples who maybe didn't conceive in an Irish clinic or maybe didn't conceive in a clinical setting and had a home insemination, etc. So there's still lots of families who have been left outside of any uh, current legislation. So... The implications for your two girls are what? So for anyone who's not covered and still only has one of their, you know, parents legally connected to them, essentially it means that if something were to happen to their parent who is the legal parent, they would be an orphan. They would be orphaned. They wouldn't have any other... No, try, try, try again, Renee, because you're just breaking up at the wrong time. So only one of them would be a parent. Exactly. So only one one legal parent can make all of those, you know, day to day important decisions for themselves. Consenting for any sort of medical procedure, um, you know, accessing education facilities, setting up bank accounts, inheritance, you know, all of the kind of things that go along with being a parent and having those rights and responsibilities. And then if the legal parent were to pass away or something were to happen to that legal parent, the other parent has has no rights to their child and the child has no rights to their parent. Even though you are married? Yeah, it has, it it absolutely has, um, even though you're married, it makes no difference. So it's it's a bizarre situation where you're married, but your spouse is not considered so, so right parent. now what you're saying to me is Audrey has no rights effectively when it comes to the children you've had together yes she she has no rights so for the past almost five years now she has been a legal stranger to our children and we hopefully will be covered under this new law but our situation was a little bit more complicated 
court date. And so we hope to have our situation resolved at some point. Mm. Um, but we still, like, at this moment in time, absolutely, she's a legal stranger to our, our children. And is she, is she allowed to do things like becoming a legal guardian while, all this, while you're waiting for it to happen? Or, or is there any route for her that way? So, yes. So for parents who, say, can't avail of the, the new laws, you can apply for guardianship, but you can only apply for guardianship after you've lived with your child for two years. So once your child turns two, you are then allowed to make an application for guardianship. There's also, you know, situations where you could apply for emergency guardianship or you can put it mm. into your will, a thing called testamentary guardianship, if your spouse were to pass away. You kind of wonder why you need that, to, yeah. like we went out a number of years ago and, and we voted and thousands of people voted to allow people yeah. like yourself and, and Audrey to get married and be yeah. fully married in the full eyes of the law. And I don't think that people who went out in their tens of thousands and voted to allow your marriage be as 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 right you know, as legally standing legal. as mine. Yeah. yeah. They didn't expect this and they wouldn't have they wouldn't be happy about this. That's why, you know, we along with other parents formed this campaign called Equality for Children and that's one of the big things we're trying to do is just to raise awareness and let people know that this is happening because I think the country would be outraged. You know, the, the, the part of the country that voted yes would be outraged because this is not what we voted for. We voted for full equality and this, what we have at the moment, is absolutely not equal. Well, they voted for full equality and yep. you and Audrey have it for yourselves, but your children yep. don't. That means it's, exactly. not, it's not equal. Exactly. Exactly. And to be honest, our children are more important than we are. And, you know, that's that's why we're doing this. It's for them. It's not for us. Um, they're the ones who are being impacted by this. Not, you know, not necessarily us. Mm. Because they'll go through life, I suppose, being looked at sideways. Exactly. And, they're, and they're, they lose out others. on things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And exactly. God, God forbid, if anything happened to you, then Audrey's in all sorts of trouble trying to do stuff with yeah. your kids. Exactly, exactly. And that's not something that any parent, you know, parenthood is hard enough as it is. You know, that's not something that you should be having to worry about and think about every day. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's difficult. And I think a lot of people who went out and voted enthusiastically in 2015, or when, yeah. whenever, I can't, when was it again? Yeah, 2015. 2015. Went out yeah, and voted yeah. for it in 2015. Yep. Do you know, six, six years, nearly six years down the road, Yep. The equality that you voted for doesn't actually exist. No, it doesn't. Okay. I mean, you know, great. there's so much to do. All right. Renee, thank you very much for talking to us. That line dropping in and out at the most inappropriate of times. I hope you didn't lose the, the run of the conversation there. But Renee and Audrey married to each other with two babies that they've... Um, Renee's had the babies using Audrey's eggs and a sperm and all that. Sperm donor and all that. But... The children are not as equal under the law as Renee and Audrey are. Which, that's not exactly fair, is it? 1850-715-996. That's not what people voted for in 2015, is it? No, I didn't think so. Interesting little bit of history trivia for you. Ask your grandparents or maybe ask your parents about this. I don't, I don't, I can't recall this and I'm... It happened while I was alive, shall we say. That's all I'm telling you. But I don't really recall 
it as a thing. I just remember spending the money. It's 50 years ago this very day that our money was decimalised, where we got a hundred pence in the pound and we got a whole new set of coins and notes. Yesterday, 50 years ago, there was 240 pence in the pound. 50 years ago today, we decimalised. And if you think that changing from pounds to euros, uh, if you thought that was complex, like for about 20 years after this happened, people used to say, what was that in old money? So 50 years ago today, we decimalised our money and we made it, in some people's eyes, absolutely worthless. And then we did it again with the euro and made it worth even less again. But just ask, ask your granny or your mother or father about, or your Uncle Joe about decimalization. God, it was fun. And we had no apps to do it with either. We just do it in our head. 1850-715-996. In the meantime, can't Audrey legally adopt her daughters just to be sure that if something happens to Renee, the kids would be legally hers? Yes, she could. She could. Uh, under certain circumstances, yes, I think that. Um, but like, why should she have to? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Yeah, the old money also was LSD, pounds, shilling, and pence. LSD. Yeah, you had. Ugh, stop! Stop! I don't even remember it. I was too young. I was too young. Yes, I was too young. Stop. Only a child. Short bands in school. 1850-715-996. Speaking of school, talking earlier on this morning uh, with Aaron Wolf from Deer Park uh, about the tensions as they try to figure out what to do with the Leaving Cert. Let's talk to someone who's actually, as it were, directly there on the front line. Cahill, good morning to you. Hello, thanks for having me on. Delighted. You're asking us to as it were, amplify the voices of those who are stuck in the middle of it right now. Go ahead, my friend. Yeah, look, we, we are looking for, for clarity. Um, we're looking for a choice, uh, the choice of calculated grades or sitting the formal exam in June. Um, and that, that choice facilitates the needs of every student up and down the country. And like I said, look, we need this clarity this week. We've been waiting on uh, quite a long time uh, for this clarity, so we deserve this clarity this week. Talk to me about your own situation. You, what would you like to do? As in, like, what would I like to get? Is it? Would you like? Would you prefer a calculated exam, or would you want to? Would you prefer to sit one? Yeah, look, I think um, everyone can make up their own mind on that, but the vast majority of people would opt for the, um, for the calculated grade. Look, we've been out of school quite uh, quite a long time. We're nearly five months now out of out of school with no set date for when we're back. Um, so that um, that is that is a big disadvantage. And I think uh, we our, our year group, the class of twenty twenty one, are at a big disadvantage. Yeah. So we do deserve that choice. Yeah, you'd prefer the calculated grades, but the the very fact of the matter is that with you having had been out of school for so long, your teachers have nothing to go on when they're calculating. Yes, yes, I understand that. But now coming from uh, our own school, um, we have had a continuous assessment up till uh, Christmas and oh, even really? a Christmas test. Now, some schools haven't, and I do understand that. 
but we we um we 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 had a continuous assessment um all the way up until Christmas. If uh, that choice or if that uh, system came out of calculated grades, that our school would be prepared for for that to move to that. Yeah. I suppose last year you would have been what you'd have been you'd have been fifth year and and you thought, phew, I'm off for the few months, but at least I'll be back and I can study for my leaving cert in 2021. Um, but it's not it's it doesn't look like it like it's going to be a, a proper leaving cert this year either. How does it feel to be stuck in the middle of all this for two years running, Carl? Look, it, it, yeah, it is it is hard it is hard on uh, on students to be at home and um, to not being pushed by a teacher. Or, are interacting with your your schoolmates or your classmates, and it is hard. Um, in that way, it is hard to to sit down um at a home envi- in a home environment to do books and to do study, and also to do study for for the leaving cert. As you, if you don't know what kind of leaving cert um it's going to be like yeah. if it is if it's going to be calculated grades on their own, or is it just going to be the the sitting of the the formal exam in June? How is the online school going? I mean, look, you are. You guys, are the, you're the online generation. You were practically born with a phone in your hand, so you're the <laughs> online generation. But it's not the same, is it? No, it isn't. Look, like I said, it's it's hard being at home. Um, it is hard online, and some people find it hard. Some people like it, some people don't like it, and I think it's up to the person if they like it or don't like it. But the teachers in our school, anyway, they are trying their best, and everyone is trying their best to, to, do, to do online learning, and it's hard, but... So what's a typical day like for you, Cahill? I mean, today now, this is Monday, it's, it's 5 to 12. What, what's your typical day? Yeah, look, it's midterm now this week, so we were told to kind of take a bit of a, a breather this week yeah. with everything going on. But yeah, like uh, it is it is hard doing uh, online learning. You know, you have no one to push you. Um, there's only a screen in front of you. The teacher can't really see what you're doing. So it is hard to, to keep going and mm. keep motivated at home. And what about asking a question, let's say, just pluck it out of my head, maths, say a difficult question in maths. You can, is it, is it difficult to ask a specific question to a screen? Um, well, you can see, we have mics, you can turn off and turn on your mic so you can call the teacher or yeah. there's, a, there's a button on the screen or a thing where you can tap um, and that's where you can uh, raise your hand if you don't want to talk and then when the teacher calls your name, you can say to he or she um, your question. Yes. So, like, I, you know, I don't, I don't quite understand, sir, where you got that from. Can you show me again? Like, you could do that in a classroom, but can you do it online? Yes. Now, look, our our, our teachers, like I said, are, they're they're doing their best for us, and they do explain if we ever find anything hard, they they go over it again, like no problem. Um, in that way, especially like you said, Matt, uh, definitely the teacher would um, go over that. Uh, over that again for us. Yeah, it's sixteen or seventeen weeks to the leaving cert. How quickly do you need to know exactly what's happening? Yeah, look, we we were told two weeks ago that we would get um, clarity um, la- next last Tuesday, um, and we didn't get that clarity. Now I I know a lot has happened in that last week with the HDI union dropping out of the talks, um, which put more pressure on students, uh, caused more stress, caused more anxiety. Um, um, the the whole school community, but look, I I think we're expected to to get clarity this week, and we do need clarity this week because next next Monday we're back to school again, so we deserve to know what is happening and what we can 
what we can do to work towards that. Yeah. Does it also not help that you don't know when you'll be actually back in the classroom? Yeah, it, it, it does. Yeah, it does. Like that's that's another thing about we that um, the virus is quite high at the moment and mm. apparently schools are safe and stuff. But some people are anxious to go back to school and we need to understand that as well. And uh, the government need to understand that, that not everyone feels safe going back to school. So that they need to facilitate those people that would prefer to stay at home rather than going to school because maybe they have an underlying condition or they ha- they're living with parents that have underlying conditions. So we need to realise that too. Yeah. Okay. Listen, I, I wish every single one of you the best of luck over the coming weeks and months. And I'm no doubt we'll spend a lot of time talking about it on the program uh, before or after or when they make some kind of decision. Cahill, thank you very much and good luck with your continued studies. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, Wednesday. If, I'm trying to work out when it would be. It would be the early June. So it would be the, did someone say the 9th or 10th of June? I'm just looking at my, at my calendar here, and it is, it would be the 9th of June. The 9th of June is when the Leaving Cert is due to start, which is something like 16 weeks away. So they need to know, A, are they doing an exam? And if they are, is it starting on the 9th of June? B, are they going to have calculated grades? And if so, how is it going to work? What are the teachers going to use to calculate the grades? And C, when are they actually going to get back into their classrooms, allowing for public health and safety? Imagine having all of those worries on your mind and also trying to prepare for the biggest exam of your entire educational life. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. All right, Emma Hegarty. Hi, PJ. How are you? Give me the chat up line. Are you a parking ticket because you've got fine written all over you? How oh embarrassing is that? Oh, my God. And you're in Cove. You'll be the talk of Cove. Oh, Emma. No, no one in Cove said it's me, thank God. I <laughs> you're today's winner with the Clayton Hotel, <laughs> Cork. And you can use that voucher whenever the place opens, which will be probably um, early summer at this stage. Oh, that's great. Thanks, Peter. Cheers, Emma. Take care and well done. And we've got one more of these with the Clayton Hotel, Cork, tomorrow. 